Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. This season, I'm gathering some of the very best blue teamers across the field to form my all-star team of defenders who will use their talents against some of the biggest cyber threats that we face today. Join me as I meet with my team, learn about their origins, what drives them, and the pivotal role they play in the world of cyber defense. So without further ado, let's get to it. When it comes to IT and security, we can agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and manual asset inventory approaches no longer cut it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com slash get a tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Davin Jackson. This season is titled The Defenders. I got my Batman shirt on today because I'm feeling real heroic, and I'm super excited about today's guest. So again, I'm building my team of defenders. I have everybody um, from Christopher Peacock, who was the past guest, who was the innovator. I've had my threat intel uh, team with John and Andy. I've had my veteran with Eric Bellardo. But I need to have someone who can explore the landscape for the threats and, and know how to act on them. My guest today is someone who I truly believe has that ability. Uh, she is a security engineer, and I just want to bring her in and get started. So everybody, please welcome my guest, McKen McKenna Yakey. Hello, hello. McKenna, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a Friday, so I can't complain. You know? <laughs> who doesn't look forward to Friday? Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for for being, uh, you know, on the team. And for those who aren't familiar with you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm McKenna Yakey. I am a corporate security engineer in the fintech industry. I am also a avid women in tech advocate, uh, advocate, um, and I help out a lot in mentorship with the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. So I do a lot of stuff with them, um, and I try to give a lot back to the community. Awesome. And we're going to actually touch on some of the mentorship uh, later, because I think that's super important in building, you know, uh, the team of cyber defenders. But um, so you touched on it and you touched that you're, you're a cybersecurity uh, engineer now. But how did you actually get started into the field and what led you to to uh, to the blue side of things? Yeah, so um, the way that I got into the field was kind of happenstance. Like I didn't really expect it. I was working for a really small um, ed tech company doing systems administration. And I was really trying to build out a security program there because uh, it just wasn't anybody's top priority. And we were a really small team of like two people. Uh, so I was really trying to to understand what goes into the process of building out an effective security program. Um, and so uh, I had reached out to my network of, of other amazing women that were in security. Um, and I asked them and they, they actually, it was 
Mary Galloway, actually, who posted something about a women-owned company, uh, MSSP, um, that was looking to bring people on and teach them kind of like the foundations of it. And I figured, you know, that'd be a great opportunity for me. So I reached out um, and I started doing a security consultant for her and her business and other uh, companies. Learned a lot, but it was you know, not very long. So I was juggling two jobs. I was going to school full time. I was putting together an entire Dallas chapter virtually. And I took a break, but like literally right after that, um, maybe like a month or so right after that, I got hit up on LinkedIn by a head of security at my current company. And he's just like, super interested in what you do. I see that you have some experience. I would really love to talk to you. Will you come in and come talk to me um, and see if you would be a really good fit for the team? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. I'm probably not going to get this. It's way out of my like scope of abilities. Um, but somehow I passed that like multi-tier interview and they thought I was fantastic. And I just happened to get into it. And I was just like, that was not, you know, I was thinking I was going to have to put in way more years and I was going to have to, uh, you know, just really kind of drudge through it to get there. But, you know, someone someone saw my my passion and my capability and, and decided to take a chance on me. So long and, spiel. But. <laughs> and and that, that is amazing. But but two things. One. Um, hi, Mary. Uh, I love Mary Galloway. She, she's <laughs> awesome. And two, uh, yeah, we talked about this offline and on in other platforms that you and I actually have a very similar uh, origin story as far as working in the school systems. And I find it interesting that, you know, we, we got to that fork in the road of trying to figure out how to better secure systems. And I looked, I looked at that one way and then I determined, oh, you know what, I actually like the penetration testing side of things and you actually went the 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 opposite route and and you know and it's still kind of parallel because it was the same thing with me where I studied and did a lot of stuff on the side and then eventually someone took a chance on me at a consultancy so I mean that that's it's just really crazy that it's like our paths were just so parallel and then and then we both hit that juncture where it was like okay we could literally go red or blue and then we mm-hmm. went, went, went our uh, separate ways. That that's actually pretty cool. So now, so did you always know that, you know, that that's the, that that's the path you wanted to go, that you wanted to go to defensive route. Cause for me, I tried, I tried a couple things on the defensive side. I actually wasn't too bad at it, but it was just something about the challenge of pen testing and trying to figure out vulnerabilities and exploit them that that's what kind of drew me over so what what was it for you that was just like yeah this is where I need to be you know what I think I didn't even really have a chance I blame this compliance manager um who was really trying to get our our team to implement NERC SIP and no one would do it so I didn't I was kind of like offered up as a sacrifice to help them (laughs) and so I feel like I didn't really even have the chance. I just fell in love with it from right there. Um, Because at that time I was working for a a power authority and I was just doing system admin work. um, And I had never really come across security until then. Um, And something about it just seemed so interesting because working for the power authority, I I guess I had never really um, taken into account how important it is to secure our critical infrastructure just wasn't even something on my mind. Um, And being able to 
you know, walk through those standards and identify ways that we could improve our posture. I just, I became addicted and I was just like, this is it for me. I love it. I did look into, you know, the red side because I think when anybody starts to look into cybersecurity, that's like the first thing that they get hit with. It's what everybody seems to talk about a lot. Like cyber defense is, I mean, you got to kind of dig into security a little bit more to see more of it uh, because, you know, like being a hacker, being a pen tester is just, it's the sexy thing, right? That's what everybody wants to go to. Um, So I looked into it and I just, I just didn't, I didn't, it didn't feel right for me. You know, I have a very security based mindset. I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for years. um, And so I come from, you know, I come from a very like defensive perspective and it just, it just fit for me better. I care a lot about protecting what's important to me. Um, and that just fit with my natural personality. So yeah, I, it, it was over before I even got to make a decision. So cyber defense and chokeholds, good to know. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Um, it's, it's funny when you, like when you said that you were, you were offered up as a sacrifice for that role. I, I immediately went to like hunger games. I was like, I volunteer as tribute. Yes. <laughs> you took a liking to, to the cyber defense side of things. And now your official title is security engineer. So mm-hmm. what does that job entail? So I'm part of uh, our corporate side, and that means everything that's internal, our internal infrastructure. I worry about our endpoints, our network. I worry about our users. Um, My job is to keep everybody and all of our assets safe so that everybody can do their job safely. Um, And I mean, you'd be surprised how difficult that can be. Because you're just, you know, you're working with so many cross-functional teams that have important work that needs to be done, developers, engineers, you know, other security teams. Um, Everybody has a really important uh, job to do. And as, you know, corporate security uh, engineer, I have to really figure out how can we be safe and how can we meet best practices, but not hinder the work we're trying to do? Um, and so I feel a lot of the times like it's like walking on a tightrope, right? Yeah, sure. I may want to come in and be the warden and be like, no, we're going to do it this way. But I have to be considerate of the business. I have to be considerate of my users. And I have to, you know, sometimes get creative in the ways that we implement uh, these security measures. So that's a little bit of like what I do and just kind of like the perspective I have to take. Yeah. Um, and I totally understand that because working in application security, it's, I don't have to deal with all the end users, but sometimes we work really close with the developers. And I know they say like the red team or like the divas, but sometimes I think the developers can be the ones because they really don't like change, especially if they came into a setting where security was like an afterthought. But I understand it because it's almost like the developers, they're building this thing that's their baby. And now you have someone like me coming in and saying, hey, your baby's ugly. So (laughs) nobody nobody wants to hear that, even if they even if they kind of know it's a little true. I hope it's easier for you. And if it is, I'd love to hear you share some tips on, you know, what you do to kind of get everybody on board because you do it on a much larger scale and, you know, that's the mission. So how, how do you try to get everybody on the same, I guess, mindset? Yeah. So for me, coming from a system admin background, it's really about making sure that 
my users can utilize the systems, but also they're not causing me headache and a problem too. So I've had to learn a lot about collaboration and compromise. So what I really like to do is I, obviously I have my objectives that I need to get done, but I also like to go to my stakeholders and understand, you know, what is the function of possibly this specific objective I need to get done and that hinders their work. And I try to understand from their point of view how that might impact them. Um, And so I work really closely with so many different teams, very closely with like tech ops, legal risk, um, you know, everybody else in our security engineering department. And uh, I spend a lot of time, I think, on like the human aspect, the people part of security uh, to really then bring all of that information. Um, and as I'm building out my kind of like process of how I'm going to get this objective done, how I'm going to bring the security measure on, um, I have to take all of that information and that knowledge and really kind of make it part of the path. So I think for me, I think sometimes I can be a little bit of an odd man out on my teams because I am so hyper-focused on the impact of the end user uh, that I think sometimes I can kind of butt heads a little bit and be like, okay, but if we implement this, are we not going to start a riot? Um, And how do we, if this is absolutely a must, how do we get our users prepared? You know, and so... For me, I work very closely with tech ops with a lot of the work that I do because I focus on processes and I come in and I I do a lot of security gap assessments um, and I find out, you know, where is our baseline or if we don't have one, I build it, I I identify where we should be and then I say, this is where we're going to get to. So I have to work with them a lot and I know sometimes tech ops tech ops can feel like we're coming in and telling them exactly how to do their job. So I, I care a lot about that collaborative part of the, of the work. It, it definitely can be harsh or hard being that odd person out. Um, and sometimes actually even very stressful. You know, when I, when I've talked to other people who've had similar, similar roles, um, I, they, they actually said that they find some of it to be exciting because they're so it allows them to be exposed to so many different teams that they probably wouldn't have been under any other circumstance or in any other role. So what is something that excites you about your job? I like solving problems. I like solving complex problems. I think I'm a little bit of an analyst at heart. Uh, because I love to get into the nitty gritty. I love to get into the weeds and identify like, why is this a problem? I think, you know, I was the kid that was always like, why, 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 (laughs) you know? So when I come, uh, when I get up every morning and I come in and I'm, I'm looking at the things that we have to implement or the ways that we're going to do them, I like to really understand the problem. I go, why? But why are we doing it this way? But why are we utilizing this tool versus that? Why are we using this method versus that method? Um, So I I like to ask questions. And I think I I end up learning so much because I'm, I guess, so annoyingly asking questions. (laughs) But yeah, I love solving problems. I want to understand how things work, how they function, and then like what we need to do to get from point A to point B. So that, I mean, that... That's it. I I love to just dig into stuff. No, I I agree 100%. I think curiosity is is something that is definitely one of the, I guess, the unspoken things that you need in cybersecurity. You have to have that 
bug in the back of your ear. It's like, why does that work? Or what happens when mm-hmm. I do this? And I'll be honest with you, you know, listening to you with your curiosity, I think you would have actually made a really good pen tester. So yeah. <laughs> I've been told ever- <laughs> <laughs> if you ever think you about switching, you might, you know, you you definitely you definitely have the mindset of, of a pen tester. So that, but that's awesome. How does the intel gathering process work for you, and how does that help you do your job to help your team internally as well as keep up with you know the latest attacks that can happen from external sources? Yeah. So again, because I'm nosy, right? I like to go and stay up to date on what's going on. I talk a lot to the community to see like what everybody else is coming up against. Maybe if somebody's identified a new kind of like threat or vulnerability, I like to discuss it with, uh, you know, within the community. Um, but for me, Intel is, is, it's really just research, right? It's poking into things. Um, and so I'll read, you know, I'll go and read up on vendors and I'll go and study and kind of like sandbox stuff if I'm trying to figure out like, okay, is this an actual vulnerability? To what degree is this a problem for us? Um, and I, I gather my intel just really kind of, I guess I've never really thought about how I go about it because I feel like I gather intel just all day, every day to do what I need to do by asking questions. So I guess if I just keep it straight up and keep it simple, it's just I poke. I go and I poke um, everywhere that I can, whether it be from stakeholders to poking with the actual devices or uh you know, poking into the community or staying abreast of like what's going on. Um, that's how I tend to gather my intel and I bring that back. I always do like a giant like doc dump <laughs> with my team. And I'm like, this is what I found. This is what I think we should should look into. This is what I want to test. And this is what I want to implement. So um, that's how I tend to go about my like intel or my research. Okay. Uh, and I guess the follow-up question is, and then once you kind of get that research and get that information, um, what type of tools or applications are you using to kind of help you? EDR, I'm using a bunch of tools that help me pull that information. So whether that's using a vulnerability management tool or using like MDM or even uh, building out like a case management tool, I, I, we use a huge variety of different tools. In fact, sometimes I think it's a little over the top and a little overwhelming, right? With how many tools we have to use to get our job done. I use just about everything I could to get the job done. And that I think is a perfect segue to get into our sponsor for this episode, which is Uptix. If you don't know, Uptix provides the first unified cloud native security analytics platform that enables both endpoint and cloud security from a common solution to enable security professionals to quickly prioritize, investigate, and respond to potential threats across a company's entire attack surface. By unifying visibility in a single tool, security operations analysts can focus on one tool set and interface to improve productivity and efficiency. So McKenna, you just talked about having to get all these tools and bringing them in and aggregating all this data. Um, How would a tool like Uptix actually help simplify that process? Yeah, so really funny that, uh, you know, the sponsor is Uptix. We currently use Uptix and we're building out Uptix within our environment. And I love it, right? Because we use it for endpoint analysis. And so it's really great to help us identify vulnerabilities and catch compliance drift. Like for me, I use it extensively for investigations and it was really valuable for us uh, during 
you know, log4j. Uh, so it helped us, you know, find those vulnerable hosts in like an easy to read um, dashboard. And, um, you know, we can easily track abnormal behaviors, processes uh, that are happening in t- inside of our entire fleet. So it's really cool. And it has so many amazing functionalities. Like I'm just now really getting into it. And my plan is to become like an uptick uh, uh, expert. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal tool. It's really great. Um, it has so many other features, like just even like inventory management for us so that we can actually see uh, our entire fleet and know and, and, and like pick out odd odd things that are happening and be alerted by that. So Uptix is a, a fantastic tool and it's it's been super helpful in helping us build out an actual detection and response program. And that is actually perfect. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that answer. And I'm pretty sure Uptix will love to hear your answer as well. And if you want to hear more about Uptix, you can go check them out at their website, uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. So McKenna, uh, switching gears, a lot of offices or a lot of corporations or companies they have issues with the budget. Either they don't want to spend the money or they just don't have the money at all. But that doesn't mean that they should miss out on, you know, securing their assets. So in your opinion, what is something that you think is fairly simple and fairly cheap to implement that could make a huge difference to a company who can't afford? Yeah, so... Funny enough, at my company, we're big open source tool people, right? Like we we care more about how much can we utilize this tool to do exactly what we want it to do um, and be part of that community too, where we know people are actively working on and building out cool features and and really stay um, in touch with what their what their users need. Uh, so one tool that we've actually implemented is the Hive, and it's uh, one I don't even begin to understand all the features because we're still building it out. But the main thing that I <laughs> The main thing that I've gotten to really experience with the Hive is the way that we're able to pull all of our alerts and aggregate them into one pane of glass and use it as a full-blown case management uh, tool. So like when the whole Okta thing happened, I was able to quickly go into the Hive, find the alert, uh, find where it came from, and then start setting out tasks that needed to get done for the for the investigation process so that I could keep track of what we were doing. Um, and it was great because we were able to easily use it to collaborate, to, to get that work done quickly. I think it's a fantastic tool. Uh, again, it's open source. Um, and I don't believe that it's, you know, incredibly hard to like spin this up and get it running. Um, and, and we, we really enjoy using, uh, this tool within our environment. So I would say that that's, if you're looking for something to manage your case, you know, your cases and your incidents, and you need something that is effective and easy to use, I would say like the hive is a perfect, uh, tool to bring in. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up something that's an open source tool, because a lot of times you hear in a lot of these shops, it's almost like open source tools are like frowned upon. It's almost like, oh, they're not going to take us seriously because we're using an open source tool. And in some cases, 
you're you're right, right? Like like you should probably use you know more like a commercial scanner when you're gonna vulner do a vulnerability scan or something. You don't yeah, want to use like absolutely. a scanner, but there are a lot of tools out there that you can utilize that are open source that you know are little to no money and yeah because they because it's that open source you have a whole community of people who are creating templates and creating different configurations to make this this to make this open source tool really great and sometimes it's even better than some of the commercial tools because it has that mm-hmm. diversity of thought element where people are looking how to configure tools in a way that the, maybe the the creator of the tool didn't even think of mm-hmm. when they created it. So I, I'm glad you brought up an open source tool, and I think that you know they should probably get a little bit more love in the in the commercial space. But that's that's just my my little rant. So you, you no, <laughs> and I I totally agree because up until I came over to my company. I've worked a lot with small to medium sized businesses with really like shoestring budgets. Um, and you, you really have to be creative with where you're going to put your money um, so that you can get the, you know, the biggest bang for your buck. If more people were willing to kind of dig into that space, you would find a treasure trove of phenomenal tools within phenomenal communities that are building something fantastic. Uh, Absolutely. I agree. So in different jobs or in different positions, there's, there's a moment where it was just like, it's like an absolutely euphoric feeling, right? So for pen testing, it's, you know, probably popping that shell or getting domain admin on, on the system. So you got complete root access Uh, for forensics folks. It's probably putting all the pieces together in their investigation for you. What, what is that moment? Like what, 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 tell us a time where it was like it, everything just fell into place, the stars aligned. And it was just like, yes, I got it. So funny enough, I think for me, uh, it's been more of actually successfully delivering a project or getting an initiative that I had started from start to finish. So at one point when it was, again, just like me on this really tiny team, we didn't even have the basis for like endpoint security, which is why I've become kind of obsessive about endpoint security. Going from like point A to point B of building this out and seeing the, you know, like all of my labor and all of the intensive work I've had to do to get us up to compliance, to get us secure, finally to have that thing just work when I go in and I finally have like, you know, I'm looking for vulnerabilities or something and it just like works and I can actually make that change. That has been, I guess for me, maybe I'm a little boring, but that's (laughs) been really exciting for me. Um, I'm sure there's other people that have things that they enjoy, like, you know, being able to actually catch some malicious activity in the network and being able to, you know, eradicate it. But for me, I guess I'm boring. I really <laughs> love build. I'm like, I love projects, right? So again, I guess I'm a little weird in that respect, but I love the projects that I do. And I love being able to uh, have a really unsecure environment where I have to worry and stress all day long about what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, to getting to a point where I can actually go to bed and not stress that something's going to go wrong. So, you know, I look at our infrastructure like my home, you know, I have to protect my home. I have to understand where the weak points are. I have to understand the functionality of my home and, 
you know, how it's laid out and I have to come in and I have to be either creative and find ways to, you know, build my home up so that it's secure. Otherwise I could suffer what, like someone breaking in or, (laughs) you know, house being on fire. So it's just, it's really nice for me to come in and, and, and sometimes having to DIY, (laughs) you know, the solution, but I really enjoy that. I mean, that just, that gets me excited every time I get to a point where I'm just like, ah, that that stress is off me now, and I can move on to something more important than wondering if somebody's going to break into you know my front door. So, and you know, I don't think that's boring or weird at all. I think, I mean, it is seeing something that you started, uh, you know, with probably just a thought or maybe an idea that you jotted down on paper, and then putting you know putting that idea into action and then seeing that end result and knowing that yeah I did that so no trust me there's there's nothing there is <laughs> nothing boring about that one of the issues that we all face red team blue team grc purple team whoever is the lack of new talent coming in and also the surge of people leaving You know, you can blame the great resignation. You can blame the same shortage of professionals. So now it's pretty much, you know, highest bidder. Um, But a lot of the time, and companies won't admit this, but a lot of times it might just be the company. It might just be their ideology. It might be something that they did that that the employee doesn't work, that uh, doesn't work well with the employee. What is something that you think companies can do to help change that, whether it's to retain the people that they have and bring in new people? That's a great question. Um, I think I, I tend to have a, a little bit of a different perspective, right? Because I work so closely with people who are really interested in coming into the field. And so I, I tend to find almost the opposite. There's people foaming at the mouth to get in, um, you know? And so I think one, we have to reassess um, expectations, not lower standards for, you know, bringing people in, uh, especially not for the blue side, you know, um, there's just certain things that you need to know before you come in to defend your home. But I think that we need to have one uh, more realistic expectations for people. Um, and we need to, I think employers need to be way more part of the community, um, and sourcing people straight from the community. Uh, there's tons of nonprofit organizations that companies can, um, connect with that have large plethoras of people trying to get in. And, and, you know, from where I'm standing, I'm hearing people talk about the struggle to get in, you know, whether it's because entry-level positions are saying that you need a CISSP um, or you need like six years of experience. Um, I think that companies could do a little bit more to actually understand what is needed um, at the very beginning to have people come in and do a job effectively. You can learn a lot of these technical skills on the job. um, And I understand that our, you know, our more senior um, engineers don't want to have to train people. I get it. They're already overwhelmed. We're already swamped. I wish we could create something like apprenticeships, you know, almost <laughs> um, where people can learn under trained um, and and highly successful engineers and and kind of learn the ropes and and 
start that pipeline to be a little bit more effective. Now, for those leaving, I get it. I get like the burnout that's happening. You know, I love my job. I love what I do. But even I feel burnt out at times. It gets exhausting when you're constantly trying to defend everything and you may not have management buy-in or you have end-user kickback or you don't have a budget to work with. So I get it. Um, I think companies need to be a little bit more aware. I think one, companies just need to be way more aware of what they can do to incentivize people to stay, um, actually listen, <laughs> you know, if people are complaining and saying like, Hey, I don't feel like I'm getting promotions. I don't feel like I'm working on meaningful tasks. So I think one companies just need to actually get their finger on the pulse of the community a little bit more and their employees a little bit more. Um, don't know if they will, but I think, you know, people just want to, people want to come to work and feel like, what they're doing is important. It has value and they're being um, rewarded appropriately and recognized appropriately and that they have opportunities. So I, I don't think that's necessarily difficult to provide. Um, but then again, I'm not an employer. So what would I know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think I think I've done this at least once, at least every episode. But this is I'm going to just call this my, my soapbox moment. So just just allow me a couple minutes of your time. I think there's a disconnect and I think there's several disconnects. There's a disconnect sometimes with HR and the community. I think there's a disconnect with the employer and what they really want as opposed to what's really out there. You can't say, hey, we're looking for a junior role or an entry level role, but you need to have your CISSP. You can't say that you need to have seven to 10 years of experience on a technology that's probably only been around three to five years. You mm -hmm. can't have, you know, you can't have all these, these discrepancies because what happens is you're, you're, I get what you're trying to do. What they're trying to do is they're trying to put their, their wish list together of who they want this quote unquote rock star to be. And you're hoping you can get as close to this wish list as possible. But what you're really doing is you're almost you're intimidating the people from applying because they're looking at this and they're going, there's no way in hell I have all of this experience. There's no way I can apply for this. And even though us in the community are saying you don't have to be the perfect fit, just see if you could fit some of them. It still turns a lot of people away. Also. To keep the employees, like you said, listen to your people. Listen to your people. I get it. At the end of the day, companies are there to make money, but you need your employees to make make that money. But you're not going to come down from 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 the executive level and you know figure out how you need to defend the network or or what vulnerabilities you need to prioritize to get fixed or how to conduct a penetration test. So, you know, you need to listen to, to your employees. If your employees are telling you, hey, you know, we might need more training, get see about getting them some training. If they're saying, hey, I'm feeling a little burned out, you know, maybe contact switch and put them on something else for a moment that's not, your, so you're not, you're not taking them off of the job completely, but you're allowing them to recharge their batteries while they focus on something else. Uh, you know, incentivize certain things, you know, spot bonuses, you know, little something, something that shows something that shows them that you see the work and you acknowledge the work that they're doing. Now, on the flip side, I also feel like that the people who are applying to jobs need to be a little bit honest with themselves. If you just kind of are paper certified, 
go get the hands-on experience. A lot of people are rushing to jump into this field because they hear that there's a shortage and because they hear that there's a lot of money to be made in this mm-hmm. field. And they're jumping, they're jumping to get these certifications and they're getting these certifications in some unsavory ways, you know, like connecting on LinkedIn with someone who's doing brain dumps or whatever to get these certifications, but they can't apply what they learned. You're absolutely right. I think they need to start reaching out to these communities a little bit more reach out to some of these groups and these meetups and, you know, these Mm -hmm. DEFCON groups and start creating some type of partnership and maybe even a pipeline, you know, sponsor a CTF. That's a good, that's a good way to find out, Oh man, that's a good way to find some talent, you know, you know, step out to the community talk to the community, ask the community what they need. Like you said, there are people chomping at the bit for an opportunity, but either they don't know how to make that, make that connection or they're just not being seen at all. Mm -hmm. Right. So make that connection and I'm jumping off my soapbox now. So, (laughs) but, um, but I mean, for you, like you talked about having that mentorship and, and having someone like Mary Galloway who kind of pointed you in the right direction. I mean, how I know how important mentorship is as as someone who didn't even get mentored in the beginning. And now I see the difference and now I'm a mentor myself. But how speak to how important that is for someone who's just learning or maybe in a junior role, how important it is to have some type of mentorship to lead them in the right direction and, you know, stare them away from some of the pitfalls that they can, they can run into in this field. Yeah. Well, I think you pointed out really perfectly is you need mentorship to help you understand what really deserves your time and what doesn't, what's a waste of your time, help you um, identify and kind of zone in and focus uh, where to go. Because again, security is massive. You know, I, I, I like to say it's very similar to like healthcare. You know, you can say that you're a doctor, but like, what does that mean? Like, what is your specialization? There are so many different domains to it, right? We're all not the same. The work that we do is not all the same. And I feel like it can get really easy. It can be really easy to kind of pick up a hodgepodge of skills, but have no real focus on where you're going. Um, So I feel like mentorship kind of helps you zone in and get more focused on your career path. I know that's something like for me, I really struggled with and I can feel the effects of not having a mentor early at the beginning because I'm just now trying to like zone in and find what is my thing, what I really care about what I want to spend my time on, what I want to specialize in. And it's very difficult um, because I didn't have that mentorship to start out with. So when I mentor others and I, I mentor mainly um, women who are transitioning from, you know, other industries into uh, cyber, I, I focus one on like, what are you even interested in? What is, what would your, goal be if you came in and I make them sit down and look at the different types of roles. We discuss them. We talk about the different types of domains and the skills needed for those domains. And then we narrow it down. And then I give them different things to try uh, and do, whether it's different labs that they work on or different projects that they work on um, or different uh, methodologies or understanding. You know, I, I help them kind of build out this foundational layer at 
at first to really kind of start picking and go, well, I like this when I did that project with you, but I didn't like this. Okay, perfect. That helps us zone in a little bit more on what you want to do. The whole reason why my career took off the way it did in the last year or two was because I finally got some mentors, <laughs> you know? So I wonder where could I have been in my career had I had that at the beginning? Had I had somebody kind of take me under the wing a little bit and help focus me? Because it's dizzying and daunting coming into cybersecurity. It's, it's, there's so much and it just continues to go. You know, it's just, it's never ending and you're never going to be an expert at everything, right? So at some point you have to specialize, you have to find that thing that you're good at or you're interested in and you want to kind of like, you know, be the expert in. I don't think it's that we don't talk about it enough. I think it's that we talk about it a lot, but we don't have enough people doing it, right? I think there's a lot of people that say like, we need more mentorship. And then there's like a handful of us that are doing it that are getting swamped and overwhelmed with people that come to us with so many questions. And it's like, I want to help everybody I can, but I can't. Um, so I think if we had, you know, if even like employers offered some kind of mentorship programs or apprenticeships or something like that, uh, that would help kind of ease the load on on some of the other people, especially like our more senior, you know, infosec people. I think that would kind of ease the load of us feeling responsible to to help mentor the entire community and everybody coming in and give us some breathing room to really focus on those that we do have underneath our wing. So again, I mean, mentorship is so important. No, amen <laughs> to, to all of it. Um, I think back to when I started in cybersecurity and I, I tried to reach out for, for a mentor and I reached out to so many different people and no one responded. And um, it, you know, I'm very stubborn. So once I saw that, it was like, it was like Jordan in the uh, the Last Dance documentary where that meme where he's like, and I took it personally. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just how I moved for so long. I mean, maybe up until three years ago, right? <laughs> and it was just like, no, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. And now that I've, you know, I've met so many people and I'm, and, I, and I'm, I've been lucky enough to have some people who I can speak to and you know, point me in the right direction and mentor me, even now in this phase of my career, I'm truly blessed to get to where I've, where I've gotten, you know, on my own. But, it, but I do ask sometimes like, man, I probably would have gotten here in half the time mm -hmm. <laughs> had I, had I had someone, you know, to do it, had I stuck with it and not just, you know, said, screw it. And I'm going to do this. I'll go on my own. So yeah, mentorship is, is super, super important. Um, Absolutely. And I and one other point that I really want to make, because I think like this is such an epidemic in our, in our industry is imposter syndrome and how having mentorship and having somebody on your team to help you actually know like you're not as garbage as you think you are and help you really understand like you're good. Stop beating yourself up. Stop getting in your own way. Having somebody there to help you beat that like <laughs> imposter goblin yeah. um, is, is so important. So, I mean, that's just one thing I want to talk about because I think like mentorship is a, is a salve to that imposter syndrome too, that we have so, so much of in the industry. No, agreed. 100%. That, that imposter syndrome is, is, is the worst. Even the best of us go through it. So, you know, 
but yeah, like I tell people all the time, you know, you're here for a reason. You you did you did you did your due diligence and did the work to get here, and just just remember and hold on to that. Absolutely. Final question: You walk into the office, and I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> you log on. Okay, fine. You log on to work. <laughs> you log on to work, and you get a Slack message or a Discord message or an email from someone and they're saying this is their first day on the team and they're terrified (laughs) and they're coming to you and asking you, do you have any tips to help me get through my first day on the job? What would those tips be? That's a great question. I think I tend to take a very hands-on approach anyways with that. So my thing is, first of all, get to know everybody on your team. Take time to get to know everybody, get to know what they specialize in, um, what they're good at, right? Because we all come in with different strengths onto the team. Get to know your team because they are your, you know, they're they're your team members through all of this, through all the ups and downs and the craziness of having to do this job. Uh, They're there with you. So get to know them. And honestly, it, my thing is like, get in there. Don't be scared to voice your opinion. Don't be scared to say your piece. Um, Cause I think for me coming in when I was the new, the new girl <laughs> at work, my silence was so impactful the first year because I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Um, my teammates didn't know that because they didn't know me. So they just took me as kind of the silent type. Well, you get to know me. I'm, I'm an absolute chatterbox. I won't shut up. My silence, because of that imposter syndrome, like, I don't know what to do. And I was scared to ask certain questions because I was scared to look dumb. Um, I, didn't ask, I didn't get to be impactful in the way I wanted to be that entire year. Um, so my thing is, and I mean, I'm, this is advice I got from my own manager and he's phenomenal. Ask the questions, ask questions, tell me when you're struggling. So I know when to help you. So I know when to give you the support that you need. Talk to me, let me know what's going on. So I would say the biggest tip is to ask questions. Don't be worried about looking dumb. You know, we all look dumb from time to time. It's not that big of a deal. Um, It's more important that you learn and that you learn confidently instead of hiding yourself away and not having the impact that you absolutely can bring to the team and being a valuable asset to the team. So don't hide your shine. Just get out there, do the work, ask the questions and connect with your team members. You'll be all right. And there you have it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well said. Well said. I know you said it was a difficult question, but you you nailed it. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> so again, McKenna, thank you for agreeing to do this and being on the show. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter under CyberKenna. Um, and you can actually find me on, on a, I started making my own website. It's called cyberlit.co. That's cyber literacy. Um, <laughs> and you can also catch me on LinkedIn under McKenna Yakey. I'm active on most of them, trying to get more active on Twitter. But <laughs> yeah, you can find me there. Uh, feel free to reach out and connect. I love talking to people. And again, like I said, once you get to know me, I won't shut up. So we should have lots of good conversations. <laughs> 
Yes, for those listening and watching, please reach out to McKenna. She is a great resource and a great person and just just fun to talk to and and chop it up with. So again, McKenna, I thank you for being on the show. I thank everybody for watching. This has been another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. Let me know what you think of this episode or the season as a whole in, in the comments below. Um, for those who are watching on YouTube or just leave a comment in, in our chat box or, or on our Discord channel, let them know and let's talk about bringing me back for another season. Please bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, that's been the show. Uh, so I will see you next time. Everybody stay safe out there and take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there, and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. 